Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat for just a minute. Uh, welcome to Creekside Church. I hope everyone is uh, all rested up from the long weekend and had their fill of turkey and other wonderful uh, side dishes. Just thinking about Thanksgiving and, and what, a, what a, just a great chance it is just to slow down and to think about all the things we're, we're thankful for in this life and uh, to remember what, what Jesus has done is ultimately he is the giver of, of every good and perfect gift. In a moment, we're going to give thanks for the offering. And I did just want to share one uh, prayer request. Uh, we had a call this morning from uh, Kim and Darnell Stogner. They were visitors with us last week, and apparently uh, their daughter this morning had uh, some kind of a seizure and possibly a stroke. So uh, we want to pray for uh, their daughter, Kiera. So uh, if you would remember them this morning, um, let's, uh, let's pray. Father. We thank you that you are the giver of all good things, that you uh, watch over our lives, that your care extends uh, to the details of our lives. Uh, we want to lift up Kiera to you uh, this morning. Uh, may, you, may you watch over her. May you give the doctors skill uh, as they care for her. May she uh, make a full recovery. And uh, we just pray that you would uh, give peace and patience and encouragement to Kim and Darnell. Um, Father, as we uh, prepare to give back to you today, uh, we're, just, we're just overwhelmed by uh, your goodness and your love and your mercy to us. And we pray that as we sing, you would uh, lift our hearts, um, that the feelings inside of us would match the words we're singing, and that you would uh, encourage us with your word this morning. Lord, we need your truth. We need your help. It's in your name. I'd like you to bow with me, if you would, as we prepare to worship through the study of God's Word. Father, we have this cornerstone in Jesus and through him the weak have been made strong through him the lost have been found and those who are in the darkness can be brought into the light and I just pray that you would shine the light of your spirit on the truth of your word and transform us into the people of God you want us to be. We are feeble and frail and apt to fail, but we ask that you would powerfully work for your glory. God, I stand here as a insignificant servant of a very awesome God and pray that you would take your word and penetrate our hearts to do your work for your glory and for the gain of your kingdom, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I remember watching an episode of that popular TV show, reality show, Cake Boss, with my girls, uh, my wife and my two daughters. In this particular episode, drama dominated the whole episode because Buddy and the gang were busy making all of these 
tasty pastry treats for Easter. And then they had a last-minute cake order that came in. And then there were all of these other projects that they had going that needed to be tended to that they were having lots of problems with. And so tension was high and tempers flared. The whole episode ends with Buddy walking into his sister's home where the entire family, mind you, which most of whom had just been involved in this great conflict, you know, they were at each other's throats, sitting down to an Easter meal together. And Buddy says this, at the end of the day, we love each other. We're family. We're family. And what is true of Buddy and his biological family ought to be even more true of believers and their spiritual family. And yet, often it's not. Often it's not. They had just been criticizing, condemning, and being condescending to each other, and now they're sitting around enjoying a meal together as if they still loved each other, and they did. John, in the first epistle to John, in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, says, in fact, that if we don't love each other, we're not even in the family. If we love each other, that's evidence that we are in the family. And if we don't love each other, we aren't in the family. That's a pretty bold statement. For a man who says the purpose of this book, the entire book, is recorded in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you might know that you have eternal life. And we started this series by looking at the first five verses of 1 John and being reminded that the basis, the ground upon which eternal life or fellowship or assurance that we are in the family of God is based upon our comprehension of and our embrace of the identity, the ministry, and the message of the person of Jesus Christ. It's the Christ test. Then we saw in chapter 1, the end of that chapter, that there is the sin test. If we say that we have no sin, uh, that's not true. And then a few weeks ago, as Mark was preaching, uh, you, I'm going to summarize what, not what he said necessarily, I'm not going to try to summarize what he said, but there is this obedience test. Basically, what in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 2, uh, there's assurance of genuine fellowship with God, with Christ, and with other believers if uh, through, through our being cleansed by the blood of Christ, that's he's our advocate, and through our being conformed to the life of Christ, that is, obedience. And now he gives us another test in verses 7 through 11 of 1 John chapter 2 and says that there is this love test. We know that we're in the family of God if we have love one for another, if we love each other. You see, John is confronting these spiritually superior folks, the Gnostics, the knowing ones, who seem to think that they're above obedience, that they're above sin, that they're above having to love other people. And he says that only those who behave like Jesus, John does, really belong to Jesus. Only those who behave like Jesus 
and love others, especially believers, really belong to Jesus. So we have an assurance of fellowship in this passage, in this section. We have assurance that we have relationship with God, that we have eternal life, that we're in fellowship with God, with His Son, with other believers, if we love one another. One another. If we love our brothers. So, in 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to read the text, so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open to it. Verses 7 through 11. John offers two lines of reasoning to develop his argument that only when we love one another are we assured that we are believers and belong to one another. 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 7. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him, but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's two lines of reasoning. And the first one is this. Brotherly love is a command that we're to follow. It's a command we're to follow. But interestingly enough, John gives the command in two forms. He says it's an old commandment and it's at the same time a new commandment which causes me to go, how can that be? How is it old and new? Well, hopefully we'll answer that. Notice how he says, first of all, we're given this old command, and he begins with this word beloved. Why would he use that word? Because it communicates, it articulates what he advocates, brotherly love. It's a term of endearment, of affection, of sincere and genuine love among other these are people for whom he cares deeply they matter to him in a very visceral way in a very tangible way he's not writing a new commandment to you but an old commandment verse 7 that's what it says i am not writing a new commandment to you but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning The false teachers were constantly coming up with new teachings, strange things that they had never heard before. And John is trying to counter that by saying, look, I'm taking you back to what you know is true, what you have heard from the beginning. Well, then you go, well, what beginning? Oh, in the beginning. So you're thinking Genesis. Well... Uh, That's where my mind immediately goes back to the beginning, you know, the beginning of the Bible. But I think he means the beginning of what they had heard. What had they heard? They had heard the message from Jesus. Remember verse 1? What we have heard and what we have seen and what we have beheld and what our hands have handled concerning the word of life? It's Jesus. So it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was on the earth, when the church got its start, what they had heard from Jesus from the beginning. Now, you and I know, or most many of us know, that what Jesus said 
which was for them in the beginning, was not new because it was from the beginning of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 says that we should love one another. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 when he says, this is the first and greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God, and then the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that comes from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. But Jesus had said in 1 John chapter 3 verse 11, you have your Bibles open, just look across the page or you can look at the screen. I think we have a slide of it. It says, this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. Notice the context is, this is 1 John, the beginning in 1 John 2 is the same beginning in 1 John 3. What is the message you've heard from the beginning? That we should love one another. That we should love one another. You see, John is saying, I'm not changing the rules midstream. I'm not changing the rules in the middle of the game. I'm telling what you've heard from the beginning. The other day I opened uh, our auto insurance bill, six-month premium due. And I was kind of like suffering a little bit from sticker shock, and so I was trying to figure out a way in my mind that I could reduce my liability. And I I said something to uh, my wife and my daughter, and I said, well, now, was was I, were we going to pay for all of uh, the, the car insurance for our daughter, I thought we were going to pay only part of that car insurance. And Shara immediately piped up and she says, Dad, you promised that if I got a certain score on my ACT that you would pay my insurance. Yeah. Well, she got that score on her ACT. And I set the bar pretty high for her. And she got it. I can't change the rules in the middle of the game. John says, I'm not changing the rules here. This is the the old commandment. You've heard this from the beginning. That you should love one another. That's what John says in John chapter 15, verse 12, quoting Jesus. He says, this is a commandment which I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. John chapter 15, verse 12. It's a command that reminds us of what they'd already heard. Okay. Quiz time. What's one command you heard growing up repeatedly? Come on. Class participation. Oh, one at a time. What? Well, the, well say it. The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do it. What else? Eat your vegetables. Even the green stuff. Come on. What? Lean over. I'm going to ask more questions about that one. Only, only time I was told to lean over was when I was told to grab my ankles after I'd done something in disobedience and my dad took off his belt. Okay. Uh, shut the door when you leave. Turn off the lights. I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. From the time I was growing up, that's the stuff you hear. John says, you've heard this stuff time and time and time again. To love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It was well-known command. It was to be obeyed. I'm old enough to remember when the seatbelt law came in. You know, buckle up, it's our law. 
yeah, I never put my seatbelt on those days. You know, I, I wasn't used to putting my seatbelt. Shoot, when I was a kid, we slept in the back window. You know, we, 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 we crawled around on the floor. We, you know, we jumped from one seat to the front seat to the back seat. We didn't have car seats. We just, it was just free reign in the car, you know. Put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt. Now, I just, I don't even think about it. I just get in, I put my seatbelt on. It's second nature. It's old command that becomes part of who we are. John says, this is an old commandment. Love one another. But it's also a new commandment. Now, how can that be? You see, it's a new commandment, verse 8. On the other hand, I'm writing to you a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Jesus gave a lot of commands, but it's interesting that if you go back to the Old Testament, most of his new commands or his old commands are really not old in the sense that they had people, that her people in John's time had heard them before, but they're way old. You know, love God with all your heart. Well, that's Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know, love your enemies. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18, love one another. You know, we're supposed to care for people. All these Old Testament commands keep coming forward in Jesus, but now he says this is a new commandment, and we see it in John chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus says, this is a new commandment which I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you love one another, John 13, 34. But how was it new? Because to them it was old, the people that John is writing to, it was old because they'd heard it and heard it and heard it. How was it new? It's new in him, notice the text says, in him. And in you, it's true in him and it's true in you. We are to love, Jesus called his followers to love each other in the same way that he had loved them or has loved us. A sacrificial, selfless, greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. What could I, what cost could I give that's greater than what Jesus has given for me in my love for brothers and sisters in Christ? Believers have been loved by Christ while we are still sinners, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 commandment to love each other is true in him it was originated in him we saw it in him when he went to the cross he demonstrated love because he pursued us when we weren't pursuing him we don't deserve what he did for us the life of love is then incarnated amongst us when believers demonstrate towards each other the same love which Christ demonstrated towards them Selfless, sacrificial, giving love as an ongoing reality. I'll call him Ralph, guy I know. He's a World War II vet, has one of the most tender hearts I know. He's a great evangelist and very generous. His son has a tender heart towards God, is very generous. And is a great guy. See, what was true in the Father has been transferred to the Son. What John says is that if we are truly connected 
to the Father through the Son, then what is true of the Son will be true in us. That we will love one another as Christ loved. It will be true in us. Why? Why would this be happening? The text tells us. If you look at verse 8, because the darkness is passing away. What's darkness? It's evil. It's error. It's death. The darkness is passing away. Now, it's not gone. The darkness personally is not gone. We struggle with greed, with pride, with selfishness, critical spirits, impatience. It's present in our lives. It's present in society. A mass shooting in Las Vegas. I read a just a news feed, they opened the first nudist restaurant in France. Oh, great cutting-edge cultural revolution there. Corruption in the government. It's, It's present in society. But the darkness is dispelled by the light. How many have been in a cave? Yes, been in a cave? I asked this question before, right? And they shut off the lights, right? You know, and then they hit a little flashlight. Boom! We were on vacation recently. We were staying in this, uh, this room in this hotel. And for some reason, I haven't figured out why, they had this little flashing red light on the bottom of the thermostat. I, I, don't, I don't investigate these things. I just kind of tolerated it, you know. But I, I got up in the night, you know, and it's like this little light just like flashing. Boom! And every time it flashed, you know, it doesn't take much light in pitch darkness to, to, to cast out the darkness. The darkness is passing away. Why? Because the light is shining. That's what John says. Because the true light is shining. This is what gets me kind of amped up here. God is light. 1 John 1.5 And in Him there is no, no darkness at all. And where there is God and there is light, there is life. And where there is God and there is light and there is life, then that light is shining and it's dispelling the darkness. Look at John chapter 1, verses 4 and then verse 9. And the life was the light of men, and there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. God is light, and he shone the light in the person of Jesus into the world. As John said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, because the light shines on the darkness and it exposes our darkness. But the light also eradicates the darkness in our lives because of the person of Jesus and his death on the cross. We can be free from darkness and we'd be brought into the light. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The light is being cast out because people are coming to faith in Jesus. The light, or the darkness is being cast out because people are coming to Jesus. The darkness is being cast out because believers are growing more mature in Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 and we see for you were formerly darkness but now you are light 
in the Lord. Walk as children in the light. Folks, if you're here today and you claim that you know Jesus as your Savior, you're light. Because the light of life lives within you. And wherever you go, you're dispelling the darkness. And you go, whew, yesterday I wasn't dispelling too much darkness. Uh, maybe I was more living in the darkness. Maybe that's true, but the reality is that's who we are in Jesus. And these things, people coming to Christ and people, believers growing in Christ, dispelling the darkness, continue until the day Christ returns. I like this quote by Eugene Peterson. He says, God is on a salvation march through the country of the dead and the damned, taking captives on the way. Every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and life. And it's a miracle. There's no greater miracle than a transformed life. Secondly, John says in developing his argument that those who love one another are truly the children of God, that brotherly love is a consequence of our fellowship. And there are three statements that confirm this in the text. First of all, if you look at verse 9, my summary of it is, if we hate our brothers, we are in the darkness. Verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. This is the third error that he is trying to dispel, false claim. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. Chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Chapter 2, verse 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. He's countering all of these false teachings of the Superior, superior knowing ones, the Gnostics. What does it mean to hate? You hate your supposed brother. This is the way that they were treating people who, other people who were actually believers. To hate is a deep-seated current and ongoing animosity towards another person. Particularly to a believer. Historically, Winston Churchill and Lady Astor, who served in Parliament, didn't like each other. They hated each other, in fact. On one occasion, it was recorded that Lady Astor came up to Winston Churchill and said, Mr. Prime Minister, I perceive that you are drunk. Winston Churchill looked at her and he goes, Lady Astor? I perceive that you are ugly, and tomorrow I shall be sober. And she would remain ugly. To hate is antithetical to the light and love and life. So the one who hates cannot be in the family of God. Hate is not only an ongoing commission of sin, it's not something that is only gossip that's harmful or discrimination or criticism or backbiting or a lack of forgiveness, but it's unloving 
omission. It's a failure. It's a deliberate refusal to care for the needy, the hurting, and the struggling among the family of God. Now again, there are other texts that deal with those outside of the family of God, but John is dealing with those who are in the family right here. Okay? That person is, according to John and according to the Bible, in the darkness until now. This is not a person who is a believer. This is a person who is an unbeliever because of their life is until now. It's not somebody who, who, you know, had a struggle with their faith. No, this person is outside of the kingdom of God until this very moment. Not a believer who lapsed into hatred. It's a person who hates. Look at verse 15 of 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. These themes, these tests, keep recurring throughout the text of 1 John to drive home the message to us. Hate is antithetical to God who is light and therefore incompatible to those who are in the light. So what's it mean? To me, I think believers fail us. You know, if you're in the church... You profess to be a believer. These are all people who at least profess to be believers. And believers fail us. Broken promises. Betrayed confidences. Criticism. Maybe there's gossip, condescension. The question I think each of us has to ask ourselves is, this is the test. Let's apply the test. Is there this ongoing, deep-seated animosity towards another person what is my response to others in the family of God do I deliberately neglect the hurting the poor the needy do I deliberately intentionally neglect them well then John says we're not in the light we're in the darkness we need to repent first John 1 9 confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and turn and trust in Christ and accept his gift of salvation and come into the light. It's not to say that believers don't struggle. I think we do. Believers do struggle with unresolved anger. We do struggle with jealousy. We do struggle with criticism, with selfishness, with impatience. So just because you struggle with those things doesn't mean you're not a believer. But if there's this deep-seated hatred and animosity, then it's like, whoa, red flag, red flag, better check myself out. But the person who is a child of God, in whom there is jealousy, in whom there is bitterness, in whom there is anger, in whom there is lack of forgiveness, the Spirit of God will bring us and, and, and there will be pangs of conviction. There will be a, a, a sense of uneasy. This is not, I know in my spirit this is not right. And then we confess our sins. And he's faithful to just and forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so that our joy might be made full. Our, our, we're not out of fellowship with God. We are out of the joy of fellowship with God because every child of God is always in partnership and fellowship with God. And so we need to get our heart right with him confess to restore it now the positive angle he says in 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 verse 10 is the one who loves his brother abides in the light so if we hate our brother we're in the darkness if we love our brother we're in the light so there's two sides to it 
Brotherly love is not just the absence of hatred. It is the presence of brotherly love. I like what Oxenham says. Love ever gives, forgives, outlives, and ever stands with open hands. And while it lives, it gives. For this is love's prerogative, to give and give and give. tell couples in premarital counseling that love is acting better than you feel it's giving better than you get that's not original with me it's acting better than you feel and it's giving better than you it is a choice if we're waiting for the ooey gooey ushy gushy love feelings to ride us into eternity we are going to be waiting a long time now I hope you have them But I can't imagine the cross was a warm fuzzy for Jesus. That's love. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And if I ever ask myself, I have to ask myself, have I given in sacrificial love more than what Jesus has given for me? The answer is always, unequivocally, no way. Unconditional love, I'm just going to give you a couple of ways that it manifests itself. First of all, through compassion. In James chapter 2, if you see your brother in need and you don't help meet that need, you say, you know, be warm and be filled. There's no faith. That, That kind of faith is a dead faith. But if our brother and sister is in need and we meet the need, then it's a demonstration that we care about it. It's what happened in Peon, Haiti, when our guys were down there and they saw the needs and they met the needs. That's compassion in action. It it happens, not just there, but it happens other places meet the needs of our church family. And I know that there are other situations. I just read this thing from uh, uh, Ted and Eddie, you know, people hauling them around and giving them cards and doing stuff. That's the love, that's the compassion, that's knowing that there's a need and you are moved by the difficulty and you reach out to meet the need. That's what, you know, I want Creekside Church to be known as a church where we love each other. care about each other. I get so sick and tired of, you know, there's a dime a dozen churches in this town, you know, and in all these other towns. So why are we different? Why should people come here? Because we do what this book says. We love one another. We care for one another. When someone calls in the middle of the night and they got a problem, we don't say, well, call me when it's convenient. We go and we help and we meet the need, or we try to meet the need, but ultimately Jesus meets the need. We're just there to kind of be his hands and feet. That's what he says. Got to be what God has called us to be. That's what I think the scripture is. It's, it's, it's a heart of compassion. I just think it's cool. Some of you are out picking up people, bringing them to church, bringing them to Awana's. That's cool. That's, I see the need and I help it. Then there's consideration. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, If therefore there is any encouragement from being in Christ, 
if any comfort from his love, if any, ten, uh, any uh, fellowship of the Spirit, if any tender mercies or compassions, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then he says this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard others as more important than themselves. Do not merely look out for your own selfish interests, but also the interests of others. Don't merely look out for your own selfish interests. That one kind of sticks with me. Regard others as more important. When I pull into the parking lot, do I regard others as more important than myself? When I walk into this place and decide where I'm going to sit, do I regard others as more important than myself? When this service is over and I'm interacting with other people, do I regard others as more important than myself? You know the number one reason that I forget people's names? Because I'm thinking about me. What are they thinking about me? How can I make a good impression? How can I, you know... It's like if I was just focused on their name, then, and that was the only thing I focused on, then it wouldn't be that hard, or as hard. Am I regarding others as more important than myself when the offering plate is passed, when there is a ministry that needs my assistance and they need service? Am I regarding others as more important than myself? Yeah, that's what he says. See, what do we typically do? We ask, we, we say, how have others failed to love me? Rather than, is the fruit of love evident in me? He said, this is what John says. You don't worry about other people. All we can worry about is ourselves. You know, when I do counseling, it's like everybody wants to change the other person. The only person that you have control over is you. So, you know, let God change the other guy. Now, I want you to hear me say this. I go right where you go. You know, it's like, there's people I'm trying to change. And my family, primarily, right? You know, I'm trying to change their patterns that annoy me or their decisions that I don't agree with or whatever. It's like, uh, you know, keep reminding them. If I keep reminding them loud enough and long enough, they'll change. In reality, that doesn't happen. It only makes it worse. I want to be a part of a family that is a family where love binds us together. It's so easy to run and hide and go somewhere well, yeah, I just got a little bit offended or they didn't look at me or nobody said hi to me. Well, grow up. You know? It's just annoying. And I think God is like, oh, gee. But he's patient. He's more patient than I am. You know, my folks in, in, in their home in Arizona, they have a tree. And, and, and on the tree, oranges are growing. Now, why is that? Because it's an orange tree. You know? I had a test in high school. An actual question on the test is, what grows on an orange tree? Is it a trick question? People who are in the light, in the life, abiding in Christ, 
love because they have been loved. They express what they have experienced. It is who we are. And if we aren't, then we aren't. That's what John says. The fruit, we abide in the light. Later we're going to get to 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. For God is love. The one who loves not knows not God. Now, you know, we all wane and wax if we're really true believers. If we're honest, we wax and wane in our love and our affection and our uh, devotion and commitment to one another. That I understand. But then we repent and we turn from that sin and we seek by God's grace to walk as Jesus walked. First John 2, 6. That's what God calls us to and finally, he said, and then there he says, there's no cause of stumbling in him. Hey, if I have a flashlight on you, I get up in the middle of the night, I have to go to the bathroom, I have to get a flashlight out so I can see, unless I stand in the motel room where the light's going, blah, 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 blah. I don't stumble. But if somebody leaves their shoes in the middle of the floor, and I think I know my way to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and it's in the dark, and I don't use my flashlight, boom, I stumble. In the light, we abide in the light. Then he says, if, if we hate our brothers, we are not in fellowship. Look at verse 10. The one who hates his brother abides in the, verse 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. Now, they are in the darkness. They are dead in sin. And he walks in the darkness. That means his life is manifest and characterized by darkness, evil and corruption and deception and death. And he does not know where he is going because the light has blinded his eyes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The God of this world, verse 4, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. They, they might not see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, but the God who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. You're here. It's not because of you, if you know Jesus. It's because God shined the light into your spirit and opened your eyes that you might see and draw us to himself. We'd be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. We belong to Jesus only if we behave like Jesus. And we love our brothers. So, there's two groups of people here. Those who belong and those who don't. The neat thing is, those who don't belong can. And so if we hate those who call themselves Christians because of this deep-seated resentment, animosity, and hostility, we can repent and turn from our sin and trust in Jesus. We are, the prescription, or the uh, diagnosis is darkness. The prescription is light in the person and the work of Jesus. Now, some of us who are believers still struggle with 
some bitterness and some jealousy and some impatience and some anger and some you know, other sins. You, you fill in the blank. That's, that's true. But we can be restored to full joy in fellowship if we repent. So that's the, that's the call. If you're here and you're a hater, then you're in the darkness. Become a lover and come into the light through the person and work of Jesus. If you're in the light and you're struggling to walk because you stumbled a little bit, then rejoice because God has made a way for us to be restored in fellowship and have victory over these things. Peter says, I think that's 1 Peter 1, 22, fervently love one another from the heart. doesn't mean you have to like everybody in the church. You know, you don't have to be the best friends with everybody. You don't have to be the best buddies with everybody in the church. You see, some of you gravitate naturally towards other people, but we have to love each other. And we get to love each other. You know, John's test of assurance that we're in fellowship is that we should love others just as Christ loved us. And there's no greater reminder of how much Christ loved us than when we celebrate communion. Because if we take these elements, we're reminded that the body of Christ was broken for us and the blood of Christ was shed for us so that all who believe in his death and resurrection as the payment they deserve may have life and have it eternally. So there's an invitation as we contemplate these elements, an invitation for those who are outside the body of Christ, outside the family of God, to come into the light and then there is this inspiration for those of us who are in the light to say how much, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would take his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That we would live and walk as Jesus walked in obedience, love for one another to examine your hearts and where we fail in our love, God will forgive and give us grace to reach out in love. And if you don't know that love, cry out to God and confess your sins and turn and repent and trust in Jesus that you might live in the light. I'm going to pray going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Father, thank you for the example in your son of what it means to love. I pray that if anyone here does not know you as their Lord and Savior, they are walking in the darkness until now that they would see that they can be freed from the darkness and come into the light, that they would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus and be free take this element as a reminder, this symbol that every believer here is welcome to take and they can take it with clean conscience. For each of us who are believers, help us to repent and turn from our sin that keeps us from joyous fellowship and take these elements with gratitude and resolved and renewed commitment to serve you out of love. We pray in Jesus' name. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. What a joyous thing. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Let us ask God to produce his fruit 
in our spirits. Let's pray. Father, give us grace as we go from this place to incarnate the love of Christ which we have received. Help us to demonstrate it by your grace. Lord, help us to think of one specific area in our lives where we will ask you to work particularly to make us more loving by your spirit, not as a matter of duty, but as a response of love to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. You are dismissed.